We are uh, continuing our sermon series through the book of James uh, this morning. If you're if you're visiting with us, that's our normal practice: is to preach our way uh, through books of the Bible, taken section by section. Uh, if you've been here uh, the last several weeks, you might remember that it's it's our desire uh, in looking at James that our lives reflect our beliefs, that the good news we profess uh, might actually affect uh, the ways that we interact uh, with one another uh, and the ways that we interact with the world that in effect our, we might put the love of Christ on display. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to James uh, chapter 4. It's near the end of your Bible. It's after Paul's letters in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we've also got it printed there for you in your bulletin. I'll begin reading in verse 13 and go through uh, the end of the chapter. Let's give our attention uh, to the reading and hearing of of God's word. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. This is God's very own word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the privilege to come and to meet with you, uh, to worship you, and to hear from you. We do pray uh, that you would take this word uh, by your spirit and that you would, you would press it down into us, God, that you would change our hearts this morning, open our eyes and, and unstop our ears, enable, enable us to, to hear uh, the living and active word uh, from you yourself. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Earlier uh, this year in January, a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto named Jordan Peterson published a book called 12 Rules for Life. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this book. I haven't read it yet myself, so I can't really comment on um, on its value. But something that's really interested me is just how much traction uh, it's already gotten Uh, in just a few months, and how popular Jordan Peterson uh, has been over the past year and a half or so. If you haven't heard of Jordan Peterson, uh, my guess is that you you will soon. Uh, His book is already um, the number one seller on Amazon, and it's on national and international uh, bestseller lists. Uh, And I've been interested to know uh, why. Why are people so attracted uh, to what this professor of psychology has to say. And I think it at least has something to do uh, with the subtitle of Peterson's book. It's 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote uh, to Chaos. Now, you see, Peterson uh, himself is not a Christian, but you don't, you don't need to be a Christian to see that the world is just a very uncertain place. Um, our world Our our modern world, uh, in particular, has been telling us for decades uh, that we have to make our own meaning, uh, that there is no 
There is no real meaning. Uh, There's nothing behind the things that you can see and the things that you can test uh, in a lab. And many people are finding out that it's just not that satisfying to be your own foundation. Uh, The chaos is too much to bear on our own. And in fact, there's there's quite a bit of it uh, inside of you as well. And so my question, my question for us this morning is, how do you face the uncertainty? Uh, do you have any, any sense of place in the world, or are you just sort of bouncing around? Uh, do, you, do you have an anchor? Uh, are, you, are you headed anywhere? And do you have any assurance uh, that you'll actually be able to make it? Well, in James, uh, we've been listening for several weeks now to a lot of uh, imperatives that is a lot of commands, a lot of things that we ought to do and things that we ought not to do. Uh, but it's really, it's really important. Uh, it's really important that we understand uh, the big picture. Uh, just even, even for you to make it through this sermon. Uh, it's important that you understand the context and keep, really keep James' perspective uh, in mind here as we walk through uh, these imperatives. Lest we think that the Christian life is just a matter of do's and don'ts. Um, Or the Christian life is just 12 rules. Uh, He begins his letter by calling himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of his God, uh, his Savior, and his King. And what he wants us to know is the joys of that service, that it it is no slavish burden to follow the Lord of glory and in fact, it is a path uh, from which you must not stray. And that's, that's the background of the rest of his letter. Remember, uh, chapter 1, he says, Blessed is the man who endures. And then he ends chapter 5 with a warning about wandering from the faith. James, James here is concerned that some are in danger of falling away. And he wants them to make it. Uh, he wants you to know that whatever trials you're facing, God is at work in them. That you can ask God for wisdom because he's a generous God. You can, you can cling to him for your very hope. And so when we get to chapter 4, James shows us through these uh, several examples of pride that although you and I are prone to make friendship with the world, uh, our God is a God who gives grace to the humble. That our, our service to Christ is one of humility before a God of grace. So when we get to uh, the passage that we just read, when we get to James 4.13, James is dealing with the reality of living in a world of uncertainty. Now, he knows, and he knows that you know, our world is reeling uh, with chaos and even as he describes these arrogant uh, merchants, uh, he is warning us, if you are not living every aspect of your life in humble dependence on God, uh, you are beginning to wander. The uncertainty uh, is the given. James is concerned here with how we respond to it. Where will you turn for order and for safety in a world of chaos? Uh, Will you try 
uh, to buckle down. Now, will you let God be God or, or will you just grasp uh, for more control? And James, James wants you to see that in this world of uncertainty, Christians are to live their whole lives in humble dependence on God. What he shows us is, is a wrong way to do that, a right way to do that, and then a warning. Uh, he gives us an example of presumption. He gives us a correction of our presumption. And finally, then he gives us a warning about this kind of presumption. So first here, James gives us this example of presumption. His purpose here is to tell us very simply, don't make plans. That is, don't face the uncertainty without any reference uh, to God. He says, come now. That is, Listen to me, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James, James may have particular people in mind here, but these phrases, uh, today or tomorrow and, and such and such a town, they, they suggest that he is, he is generalizing here. He's using an example uh, that can apply to anyone, that can apply to any of you uh, here in the room. Uh, in his example... Uh, these people have made uh, big plans uh, for the year, okay? They've thought about uh, where they're going to go, uh, how they're going to get there, how much money they're going to make uh, when they get there. Uh, you, could even translate, you could even translate every verb here in that first verse as we will, as we will go. We will spend, we will trade, and we will make a profit. We will do whatever it is that we want to do. We will control our own destiny, and we will tame the chaos for ourselves. Now, just just as a caveat here, there's nothing especially unusual. There's nothing specifically unethical about what James is describing here. There's nothing in the scriptures against traveling or against making plans to do so. The problem here is their posture. It's, the problem is their attitude and their disposition toward God. They are, they are operating on a worldly plane of wisdom. None of the plans that they've made have taken God into account. What's happening is that they are living as though either God didn't exist or that he could be confined to some particular region of their lives. And this kind of, this kind of presumption, this kind of self-confidence displays a deep misunderstanding both of themselves and of who God is. So what, what James offers them is a strong a dose of reality here. In verse 14, James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Now, you've been making plans about next year, but you don't know about tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow and to go about life as though, as though you held the world in your hands uh, is foolishness, James says. I can guarantee you that you don't know what's going to happen this year. Uh, And far 
uh, far from knowing uh, the future or about uh, sort of the big wide world out there, uh, we hardly know ourselves, James says. What is your life? Uh, We appear and we disappear like a mist, like your breath on a winter morning or, or like the flowers that he's already mentioned back in chapter one. Uh, we are here today and gone tomorrow. Our, our very lives on earth are fading away. Now, now James's point here is not to say uh, that your lives are unimportant. It's not to say that there's not a great deal of, of value to every human life, but his goal here is to remind us the world is far more uncertain than you or I tend to think. No one is even promised tomorrow. In fact, death is the one thing uh, that you can be certain of. And even that, you don't know, you don't know when. Uh, John Calvin uh, describes uh, a man who would walk past a seminary, I'm sorry, maybe a seminary, a cemetery, not much difference. Um, He describes a man who who would walk past a cemetery and and sort of be jarred into reality and be reminded uh, that his time on earth is limited. But then as soon as it's behind him, it's as though he's never even heard of death and he goes on living as though he's going to live immortally here on earth. Uh, maybe, maybe you've experienced that very feeling, how suddenly uh, the reminder of death can just surprise you and then how quickly uh, it can fade away. Uh, we, forget, we forget the brevity of life and we forget the frailty of our lives. Our great tendency is to forget who we are. James says to make plans without any reference to God is, is to divorce your faith from the rest of your life. It's, it's to miss that the very same finitude that needs the God of grace for salvation needs God to take the next breath and needs God to wake up tomorrow. Everything, everything that you have is by the goodness of God, the God who's been merciful and patient beyond anything that you'll ever know. And so to live life, not just to plan, but to do anything without reference to God, also shows, it shows that we forget who he is. You see, we can't have compartments in our lives because God doesn't have any compartments. He exists at all times and in all places in his fullness and as Christians We are but the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives, everything about our lives, they belong to him. Everything that you do is to be under the umbrella of joyful service to your king. So we're to live, we're to live in humble dependence on God because we don't know what we don't know. In light of who we are, that is in light of the fact that you are a creature that you are finite, facing uncertainty by depending on ourselves uh, is a fool's errand. And so James, he turns then to, well, what actually, 
ought we to do? And he offers this correction of our presumption. And again, here, it's not that we... It's not that we shouldn't plan, but that all our plans are to be made with open hands, to be made in dependence and submission to the will of our God and Father. Notice here in verse 13 and 15, James is still dealing uh, with the tongue, which he brought up way back in chapter 3. In 13, he says, you who say, and in 15, he says, you ought to say. It's not so much the shape of our words that concerns James here. It's, it's the heart from which they come. You see, what you say comes from the inside. Uh, your speech discloses things about your heart. In, in another era, uh, it was somewhat common in, in correspondence or in letter writing to end a letter uh, with the initials D.V., I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. Uh, It's short uh, for the Latin phrase Deo Valente, or God willing. And in Athens, in 2018, you're more likely to hear someone uh, end a sentence with Lord willing. Or if you're lucky, uh, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Um, There's something useful about that. There's something helpful about having uh, these phrases to, to remind ourselves about our posture uh, before God. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, there, you know, I had this classmate, not in cemetery, but in seminary. I had a classmate in seminary, and he would tack on the phrase, Lord willing, to every other sentence that he said. And not infrequently, he would tack it on to the end of other people's sentences as well. Um, not only <laughs> is this a good way to lose friends, um, it's really, it's to miss the point of what James is trying uh, to say here. Lord willing is not some kind of uh, incantation, right? To say Lord willing is not some magical formula that's going to cure all your pride or your self-determination. Uh, it's, it's a disposition, It's the attitude that we bring toward God and toward the future. Lord willing is is an acknowledgement of all our creaturely limitations, of our ignorance, of our absolute dependence on God for life and breath and everything. God is not after the repetition of key phrases. Uh, He is after our humility. And so how will you How will you go about facing uh, the uncertainty? Well, first, James says, well, you should say, if the Lord wills. At the very least, this means that we need to ask what God wants before we think about what we want. That is, before you get to any of the unknowns or the gray areas, you need to ask, what is the Lord's will here? Do your plans reflect the things that God wants uh, for his people? In order to answer that question, we have to begin with what he has revealed, with what he has actually told us uh, in the scriptures. So if you are a husband, you already know that you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. If you are a child, 
You are to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If you are an employee, you are to work heartily to the Lord and not for men. And that's just the last two chapters of Ephesians. Uh, Some things, some questions just aren't quite as complicated as we make them out to be. And yet at the same time, I know that there's another kind of anxiety that this topic can bring up. Uh, you You don't know what God wants, and it's just not clear in Scripture. And that's the whole problem. You don't know where to go to college. You don't know... Uh, who or if you ought to get married or what kind of career path you want to chart. And, and, and we should just admit that, yes, that can be very difficult. Uh, but here in James, he, he's not so much after teaching us how it is we go about making decisions. As much as he's interested in the attitude that we bring uh, to the process. James is asking Will you allow God to be in control of all of the things that you don't know? And so the second part of of his correction here is that we are to learn to acknowledge and to rest in God's sovereignty. So then in stark contrast uh, to the confidence of all the we wills back in verse 13, verse 15 conditions our very lives on God's will. It is only if God wills that you will live. You're waking up tomorrow. Uh, Your very breath is all dependent on the sovereign will of God. And whether you acknowledge it or not, your entire existence is one of dependence. You see, the world... Uh, The universe is not an impersonal, mechanical system. There are no abstract laws that are floating about that make things seem kind of predictable. It is God who determines if the sun will come up tomorrow. And what this means for us is that when we face uncertainty, hopefully it's clear to you that you will face uncertainty, Uh, that we face it with a kind of openness. That whatever plans we make, we make them with a loose grip on the future. That we don't complain when things don't go as we expected. It It might even be very wise of you to expect God to overturn your cart now and again. You live in God's world. I myself can can be a a meticulous planner. Uh, I like to write down what I think I'm going to do this year and this month and this week. Uh, It's not the details or or the extent to which we plan uh, that James is after here. He's concerned, again, with the approach of our hearts as we consider the unknowns of our future. All of our decisions about tomorrow are provisional decisions. And so... And so you remind yourself, I am a creature. I do not know what tomorrow will bring. I am not in control. I am a mist. But God is my God. 
I enter tomorrow with the utmost confidence that he will be there. And I'm thankful that he rules and overrules my every move. As you begin to take God's will into account, it it will not only affect how you plan, but it will affect the kinds of things uh, that you plan for. You know, we, we don't just exist to make a profit. Uh, we are here on earth to glorify God and to become like him, to, to love our neighbors the same way that he loves the world. And so what plans are you making to grow in grace uh, this year? Are you prioritizing the things that God prioritizes? Are you familiar enough with the scriptures to know what some of those things are? And do you pray? A failure to pray is an assertion of certainty. But as you know, as we all know, down deep uncertainty uh, surrounds you. And what God desires here are men and women who would live before him as children Not that we would learn to live independently, but in humble reliance on him for all things. And so to drive this point home, James finishes with this warning about presumption. In verse 16, he says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Arrogance here is not, it's not the manner uh, of their boasting, as though they boasted with improper technique. Uh, Arrogance is the object uh, of their boasting. James has in mind people here who brag about their independence, who boast in their own self-sufficiency. And James, uh, he does not mince words here. He says, this uh, is evil. That pride is not a matter of indifference. To take pride and self-reliance and to gloat about your life without reference to God is a high-handed sin, James says. There there are no self-made men in heaven. What do you have that you did not receive, Paul asks So if you're here this morning and and you've managed to get your life somewhat together, if you've managed to get most of what you want uh, out of life, you should consider yourself exceedingly blessed. There There is nothing that you have done that caused you to live a life here in the 21st century. Nothing that you have done caused you to have the parents that you have or all the opportunities that have come your way or the millions of circumstances that have all come together to get you to this point. And on top of that, you have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet here you sit. If God's mercy and patience don't bring you to gratitude, you have no clue how frail you are. 
No one will be proud of how they've managed life's uncertainties as they stand before the face of Jesus Christ. We must learn to speak of everything good in our lives as God's kindness to us. And what the New Testament goes on to teach is that we do boast. We boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You see how those two things, they go together? It's as as we revel in our dependence that God is lifted up and he in turn will lift us up. And we are encouraged to boast in the cross, the very symbol of our dependence on him. The sending of his son for undeserving, prideful sinners. Earlier in the service, uh, we confessed together that we have sinned uh, not just in the things that we have done, uh, but also uh, by the things that we have left undone. This is sometimes called uh, the sin or sins of omission. And James says, well, if you know the right thing to do but fail to do it, uh, then it is sin. This is a sweeping, pretty broad comment that certainly applies to to all of God's revealed will, whatever's commanded and left undone uh, is sin. But here, but here, James has told us what is right, that we are to bring our uncertainty before God, to take our every breath and humble dependence on him alone, and now to continue on in self-reliance is to try and make your own order out of the chaos And James says that it's sin. No one on earth exists as his own foundation. And everyone here this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, is longing for some kind of significance, but where will you find it? Jesus asks, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? You see, eternity is the thing. You don't know about tomorrow, and that's why today is always the day of salvation. Christ himself was a man who walked on earth, and for 33 years he trusted the Father. He lived in complete, absolute dependence on the Spirit. And even though this dependence led him to the cross, even there, In his most distressing moments in his time on earth, he quoted Psalm 31 and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit unto death. Jesus knew that the Father was not only sovereign, but that he was good. And this is what James wants you to know. Yes, of course, the world is uncertain and it can be overwhelming and even paralyzing to think of all the things that you don't know, but God simply wants you to trust him. To trust him with your planning and with your finances, your careers, with your soul. He wants you to trust him with everything. And you need to know that God, the God who sent his son will never, ever let you down. God is not some sort of cosmic uh, tinkerer. 
His sovereignty over the world is his kind and merciful and patient and loving sovereignty. And you can put yourself at his disposal just as Jesus did because Jesus did. Because the God of all wisdom is presently at work. The same spirit that Jesus trusted is at work in you if you are united to him. And you can trust in God's ability to carry out all of his plans. That his promises really are for the good of those that love him. And the sending of his son and his death and resurrection are the great promise that his wise plan is also his good plan. For his people. So come to Jesus Christ and live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that amidst all the disorder that we see and experience, uh, you are the God of order. You are the God who is making all things right. We all struggle to remember who we really are before you and to remember who you are. And so we ask that by your spirit, you would enable us to trust you, that you would enable us to give not only, not only our planners, but our whole selves to you in faith uh, that you are exactly uh, who you say you are. You are love and truth. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.